Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in to HBH Project Podcast. And so for today's episode, it falls under the series Purposeful Pursuit. And I interview Alan and uh, we talk about his pursuit of basketball, his passion for basketball, which then transformed into his desire to write and his journey writing his book, uh, Transition Game, and what that looked like, struggles along the way of being first generation Nigerian. We touch on all of that and uh, yeah, so tune in and thank you for listening. So, hey, Alan. Hey, how <laughs> um, are so, you, Reza? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, so, yeah. So, thank you for being here um, at the podcast for Healing Broken Hearts Project. And I appreciate you taking the time to kind of sit down and chat. And uh, for those who don't know, and as we were kind of chatting about before, the whole goal of this podcast and this project is to connect community and bring people together with stories. Uh, just because we do have a lot of similarities uh, more than we realize. And I hope that as people tune into your story and the portion of your story you'd like to share, that they can just be inspired. And um, so, yeah, so to start off, if you can just explain a little of who you are, where you're from, and we'll go from there. Sure, sure. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Alan Kendea Ragbe. Um, I am from Los Angeles, California, born and raised in the Southern California area. Um, I'm first generation Nigerian, so my parents were born born and raised in Nigeria, of course, and I'm first generation here. So, um, um, raised in the SoCal area, went to college in uh, Massachusetts, where of course that's where I met you. Um, I went to Northeastern University first, uh, spent two, two years there, played basketball there. That's a big part of my journey, which I'm sure we'll talk about and then transferred to American International College, of course, graduated there um, and came back here to California. So that's a little bit about my journey. Yeah. yeah. And um, so you were talking about being first generation in the United States. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's a piece of your story too and a part of your journey. And I was wondering if you can kind of just share how that has been because um, a lot of people that I've interviewed have also been first generation in the United States. And um, how has that influenced your journey and walk throughout life, would you say? That's a great question. Um, it, it's such a big part of me. Like when I think of, and to be honest with you, the older I've gotten, the more it's meant to me. And the older I've gotten, the more I've been able to reflect on how much being first generation has shaped me. Um, and a, an example of that is like, I didn't, I didn't really know my mother and father's journey to the States until like I got a little older. And I didn't really find out in detail about my father in particular until I was like 17, 18 years old. And I realized that like a lot of my drive now and a lot of my sort of uh, desire to impact people and to help and to just like really like attain success is, is due to like being inspired by his story. So in, in other words, I almost feel like, cause my, my dad's from a small village in Nigeria, it's called Ute, it's a small village. Um, there's not much there, like even till, even to this day in 2020, they don't, they don't even have like, like light, like electricity in that village. So you can imagine growing up at the time he came up, there's not, there's just not much there. And I used to ask him like, coming from where you come from having, there's no YouTube, there's no Google, there's no nothing then, you know what I mean? Like, 
who inspired you? How did you know you wanted more? You know, like what, yeah. what, because, you know, today we have so many examples. You can turn on TV and see people, you can find inspiration easily. You can go on social media, you can find inspiration. But how, how is it that like you're from essentially nowhere and you had, you had nothing, you, you were surrounded by nothing, but there was something that was a part of him that just knew there was more out there. And he, and he not only did he know that, but he wanted more for himself. So yeah. I, when I, when I fast forward to today, it's almost like here I am born in the States. My parents sacrificed their whole life to get me and my siblings here. I almost feel like there's a moral obligation for me to like attain something, you know, not necessarily yeah. money, but to like, to strive to want to do something, to want to strive to want to accomplish something. So that's like a big part of wh who I am and what I do, uh, looking yeah. back at his journey. Yeah. That's so cool. He just knew. He just knew there was yeah. more. That's why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so with that, with that desire to to strive for more and being in the States, how did that affect your journey in college? Because you shared first you went to, was it Northeastern? Yeah. And then yeah. to American International College, which we know as AIC for anyone who's from Springfield. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so what did that look like? Like, what were you pursuing when you, when you started? Yeah, so, um, as, as a first generation Nigerian, education and like good grades is like, a, I would say any first generation, to be honest, but I'll say specifically in Nigerian culture, there's a huge emphasis on grades and, and going to college. Like that's like a huge thing. So in my journey was a little different because I played basketball. Bas my parents supported my basketball journey. So I would say that was like the priority. Well, both were the priority. Let me, let me, clear the air both were important but as a basketball player like me uh, trying to attain my basketball dreams they supported heavily so um but I always got good grades I was always a good student because I knew like in my household like if you if you brought home a C it's you're liable to get whooped like my, both yeah. my parents were next right so like, there was this like inherent fear of like bringing home a C so like we always I always got good grades and all that stuff but I would say there wasn't really like I almost just got good grades just to get them like I didn't really like I didn't really know what good grades like actually meant or if it would convert into like a certain career path or that sort of thing you know what I mean so but I always got good grades and I was always really good at basketball so I was able to of course get a scholarship and I went to Northeastern which is a junior Ivy League really competitive school academically so I was doing that whole thing and like you know like I, I had a drive to be successful but Again, for me in college, I was, basketball was the priority for me. And so, you know, that's just what it was. I like, my goal was to make it to the NBA. You know what I mean? So I kept my grades to par, but I don't know that I was all that fully invested academically the way I probably would be now if I like know what I knew now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, to sort of keep my dad sort of off my back, I always had like subpar grades, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. And, and so you were touching on your passion of basketball and wanting to play basketball. And I know that you're working on a book, which talks about yeah. this a little bit, right? And, yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. yep, yeah, go ahead. Well, I know I was just going to say to, to, to talk about that a little more, because I want to dive into what happened, right? So you're pursuing basketball. And we've already had this conversation beforehand, right? Of, of where you're at now. 
but to kind of go into that. So you were pursuing basketball and that was it. And you wanted to go into the NBA. And, um, and then what happened? Yeah. So, man, it was so again, like the era I was coming up in and like the, like the environment I grew up in in Southern California, like it was just basketball was so important to like the community of people I came up with. And all my friends, we just had this desire to play in the NBA. Like what, like who, who does not you know? And then like, yeah. when you, when you like are a part of this like basketball culture, there's just this inherent belief that you're going to the NBA. Like, even though the numbers say you're not, and everyone knows like only 1% go and all this other stuff, you just believe you're going to be part of that, part of that crowd. And so I was fully committed to the game of basketball. Like it's all, I played since I was age eight and like, I just, I just love the game. So when I got to Northeastern, you know, I was just like this, you know, like super optimistic freshman. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm just going to come in and just do my thing and I'll be out of here in probably two years and go to the NBA. Like I thought it was almost like a gullible, optimistic, just raw, you know what I mean, feeling. Um, mm -hmm. And my, my college experience for those two years I was there, it just did not go as like as planned. It just didn't. And, um, you know, the coach and I had different ideologies and, you know, I didn't perform the way I should have performed. And, you know, long story short, I didn't play much my first two years. And that was very mentally, I would say, like paralyzing for me. You know, yeah. as, a, as a young kid, you know, 18, 19, all of these like ambitions and goals and when plans don't really work out the way you should, there, yeah. there's a level of like emotional maturity you have to have to be able to sort of like navigate that. And I just didn't have that at the time. And um, it broke me, it really did. So I ended up transferring, I came to AIC and um, you know, my, there I sort of had a chance to like reset and like figure out who I really was again. And I ended up doing well there. Um, but I think this conversation and this mentality I had at that time plays into the book I'm writing about now, which is entitled Transition Game. And the main thing that I'm trying to communicate <clears throat> in the book is really to, to push athletes, particularly basketball players, to have a transition game, which is to say, have an exit plan, right? Mm -hmm. Because so many of us have this like blind love for the game and we all think we're going to the NBA. And you put, you essentially put all your eggs in one basket and you don't even really consider the fact that like someday, maybe soon, you're gonna, the game's gonna be over for you. You know, you'll be, you'll find yourself 22, 23 years old, no longer playing. And you're, you're like in this state of limbo where you don't know what you want to do. You haven't really spent the last four years in college developing yourself personally and professionally. And the one thing you loved your whole life has been taken from you. And it's a really weird place to be. And no one really speaks to that. So that's what the book's about. And um, I'm literally pulling from my journey and my stories. So, yeah. And I, I like that. I think it's it touches home because I feel for me in my career path, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to school and I'm gonna get my degree in psychology and I'm gonna be a counselor. And I was like, that happened. I was like, nah, it's not working out. And then you try the next thing and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go and do this. And then it, it does become so disheartening when you're trying to figure out your path in life and it's not necessarily paving the way that you expect. And um, so how did that look like for you as, you know, you're trying to figure this out right in the moment that you're living 
and um, and it's not working out. Like, was there was there anything or any moment that was harder for you or more challenging for you as you were kind of figuring it all yeah. out? I don't know how else to say yeah. it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, it was man, it's it was a rough period. Like I like in the moment, it was very difficult, but you're still sort of like in the thick of it right so even though i'm going through these mental challenges i kind of always still even up to like age 23 24 i thought i would still find my way to the nba like there's like yeah. there's this like there's this borderline delusion that like and it's not just me like most of us have that mentality where it's like somehow i'm going to make it and then you hear all these like sort of one-off stories of guys who like were at a junior college and somehow the lakers picked him up and he made like you hear these crazy stories where you're like okay it's not over yet you know like yeah i transferred yeah. from a d1 to a d2 and i still have a chance right or you graduate and you're not getting any mba looks but you're like okay i can still find like so i still was very much so holding on to this dream even though i had to like persevere you know a number of times already and things didn't really go the way i planned but then you kind of hit this point where you're like all right i'm 24 and it's mm -hmm. like I'm back home with mom, you know, like I'm not working because I'm like, you know, I'm training full time, you know, and it's just like, okay, what now? Like you like this hasn't worked out and I know I'm capable of so much more. So at what point is basketball holding me back? That's the question I had to have with myself. And that's a difficult question. That's the difficult conversation to have because it's almost like being in, a, in an unhealthy relationship like a toxic yeah. relationship with somebody you love. It's like, I love this person and you may not be good for me, but when you're in it, you may not fully be, have the lens to see that. Mm -hmm. So it takes a, a, a deep level of like internalizing it and like self-awareness to understand like, all right, listen, I've gotten to a point where this is actually not good for me anymore. It's not good for my yeah. personal development. It's not good for my professional development. And for me to see a success in some other field, I have to detach myself from this thing. So it just took time for me to deal with that. And eventually I got to a space where I was just comfortable letting the game go. And when I did that, I felt like I, I found sort of my new purpose, my new thing, so. Yeah. And what would you say that new purpose is now? Man, so <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I, would say it, I would say impacting athletes who are going through the same things I went through, which, and. Yeah the way I have some themes in the book that I'm sort of like talking about. And one of those, one of those themes is this idea of the 99%. Mm -hmm. And it's such a powerful concept, um, really in anything in life, particularly like when you think of like just capitalism and stuff like that, like how like all the wealth is really owned by like 1% of people. When you just think of the 99% in general, it's actually so powerful how it's like, and as it relates to basketball, it's like, 99% of athletes who play in college don't go to the NBA. Like, it's mm -hmm. just this astonishing number. But, like, all of us think we're going. So, like, the data says one thing, but our mentalities say a whole other thing. And mm -hmm. it's, it's deep to me because when you, like, let's, let's for example, let's take, like, a 10-year-old kid, for example. Mm -hmm. Let's take a guy like LeBron James at age 10, mm -hmm. right? At age 10, you might have looked at LeBron and probably thought he was going to the NBA. Maybe he had like some skills at that age where you're like, man, his, this kid has a chance, right? But there's like a hundred other kids like LeBron at that age, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And at that age, you can't decipher who's going to be the best player ever 
and who's going to be someone like me? Mm -hmm. 99%. You can't. So the point I'm making is like at that age, when kids really, because by that age, you're fully invested already. At age 10, you're fully invested in basketball culture. You're fully invested in this thing that can like one day make you millions and buy your mom a new house. Like kids that that early are already thinking like that. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentally and psychologically buy into mm -hmm. the game of basketball, right? So what's the difference between a LeBron James and somebody like me who's both fully committed to this game, right? Mm. And then you, you fast forward 10 years later, LeBron's in the NBA and he's, he signs a $100 million contract and Allen falls short of that goal and is like, what, like, what is he left with? You know what mm. I mean? And no one really, like, it's, but, but the, the ironic part is that there's only 1% of LeBron's and there's 99% of, of the Allens. You get what I'm saying? And like, yeah. no one's, no one in this culture is speaking to that. Like, I feel like the people who don't make it, like there's, there's a level of mental health. There's a level of just like being underserved that most people are just, they don't understand is prevalent. And mm -hmm. I just feel like I want to amplify those voices and, and number one, amplify their voices. And then number two, ensure that, that if they fall short of their dreams, which most likely is going to happen that they that they've maximized what the game can offer them along the process along the journey enough to transition successfully and not have to hit that barrier after college where it's just like what now what do i do and you have depression and you have just the inability to transition into corporate america and to the workforce so i'm trying to really empower them as opposed to them falling short of their dreams and then not knowing what to do next it's yeah. a long-winded answer but <laughs> no, no, I it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think so, so many thoughts going on in my head because I'm the kind of person where um, I'm really passionate with everything that I do. So I love to encourage people to pursue their dreams and, and to pursue right. um, the, the thing that drives them, right? But then finding that balance between how far do you pursue something until you realize that maybe it's not for you. And then you kind of make that transition. And so I don't know if you know, you know, the answer this to this, but to kind of start the conversation, like for those who are pursuing basketball, right? For those who are pursuing, because I think the beauty of, of what you're touching on can be applied to anyone who pursues any dream that they have and passion. Yes. I was, for me, when, once I graduated, I got my master's in, in visual development and I'm like, I'm going to work in the film industry. I'm going to work in, you know, one of the top like Blizzard Entertainment, which is one of the top line um, video games mm -hmm. and uh, companies, I should say. And, and that's what was driving me. Right. And I applied and, but I wasn't at the skill set to reach that yeah. and attain that, but I didn't, you know, I just held on to this hope of, you know, but I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. And so there does come a time when that shift happens, but how do you, how do you encourage people to continue pursuing their dreams, but also yeah. have that healthy relationship as many listeners right now um, probably have that dream and passion to pursue basketball. So, so yeah. how do you figure out how to continue pursuing it or when it's kind of yeah. that time to shift yeah. into something new and different? Such a such a great question, and I'm I'm happy you asked it. So, I I categorize dreams in like two categories, right? Mm -hmm. One category I haven't figured out the answer to, 
but the other category, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it. So the one category is any dream that has an expiration date or, or like, or I'll say an expiration date, right? So athletics, for example, mm-hmm. you can, you physically cannot play sports your whole life, right? It's not like being a doctor or being a lawyer where these people you can, or a politician, they're like 80 yeah. years old, they're yeah. still doing their job. Athletically and other other professions too, but sports is like an easy one to call out because literally physically, there's a point where your body can no longer take, you know, just can't handle mm-hmm. the, the, the grind of it. Mm-hmm. So if you're pursuing something that has a physical limitation at some point, mm-hmm. then you need to have what I call the transition game. Okay. Like and a transition that. game isn't even a plan B per se, because to me, a plan B is like you're hedging against failing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're not so convinced that you're going to, your plan A is going to work out. So you're preparing like subconsciously preparing for like a plan a exit, you know, because mm-hmm. plan, plan A is not going to work. I think the wording of a transition game is a little different because a transition game is all, it's all you're, all you're admitting to yourself is that at some point plan a will have to end just mm. just surely because that's just how life is like you know at some yeah. point i'm gonna not be able to play basketball or sports yeah. or whatever that thing is just physically we're just talking straight yeah. up like scientifically by age 30 35 latest 40 yeah. you know you're not gonna be playing basketball you just know that right yeah. so with that in mind how do you pursue your dream with all you have, I'm, I'm not a dream killer. Like n- nowhere in my book am I advising people to not pursue their dream. In fact, I'm I'm suggesting the opposite. In fact, I'm ensuring that dream by telling you to have a transition game, right? Mm-hmm. It's like having a transition game is like letting you know that you can like pursue your dream with tunnel vision, knowing that in the event it doesn't work out, you have something to fall back on. That's the whole point of it, right? So mm-hmm. not to say, don't go after your dreams. It's to say, have this in place so that if and when that happens, you can literally hit the ground running into the next part of your life without having that weird, you know, limbo space. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. to summarize your question, right? <laughs> I would I would say to if you are in any industry, it does not have to just be sports, yeah. where yeah. there is a expiration date on how long you can do that that thing. Mm-hmm. whether it's physically or the industry just boxes you out at a certain age or whatever that may be, mm-hmm. that should, that should be your cue to have a transition game. That should be your cue to have an exit strategy. That should be your cue to use the journey to, to ma- that would be your cue to maximize the journey. Cause all of these things offer us something, but it's about maximizing and, and sort of like optimizing what it offers you. How do you use that? to springboard yourself to the next phase of your life. Mm. So that's that's how I would answer that question. Kind of like getting getting yourself to that next level. Yeah, like you don't let the game, don't let the industry or don't let the profession or don't let the sport use you. Use the sport, use the game, right? Mm. So like in basketball terminology, like, listen, if you do it right, if you're good enough, you will get a full scholarship. That's a huge, that's not, that's not a little, like that's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? So what have you done to like really take full advantage of the fact that you have a full ride? Like, mm. have you actually, cause you know what I mean? Like, like, listen, 
I have friends that they, you know, they major in all sorts of different, you know, things. And I'm not judging people's majors. You, you, you know, do what you do, what you are inspired to do. But I know people who like, they didn't even give any thought into their major or they let their coach pick their major for them. Right. Or they had opportunities to have internships or to do this or do that, or to fully maximize the academic experience of a college campus. And they just never did it. So it's like, how do you use the game? Don't let the game just use you and then you graduate and you're done playing and it's like, what now? How do you really like optimize the entire journey so that when you're done playing, you're in a good position? That's the whole key to the game, so. Mm -hmm. And when you refer to the game, how would you define the game? The game. <laughs> yes, what's the game to those listening? The game, the game is having a 360 view Mm -hmm. of not only what you're doing individually, but all the parts that surround it. Yeah. I don't know if that's a clear answer, but like, it's like, cause there's like what you do. It doesn't matter. Like what do you, for example, what, what would, what would you, what were you trying to study in college? I'm asking you. Um, so in AIC, I was studying, well, I started off studying criminal justice. Okay. And so by the time you graduated, okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> because no. by the time I graduated, I ended up with a degree in psychology. And the reason I ended up with a degree in psychology is because I no longer wanted to pursue criminal justice um, because my family was really important to me. And yeah. people in the criminal justice field had shared how challenging it was to have a family and pursue that. And right the credits that I had left, the easy route was just to get psychology because you had to get a lot of credits in psychology to major in criminal justice. Right. And um, I had originally wanted to pursue um, environmental science, but that mm. would have required an additional year of schooling that I didn't want. So mm. I ended up with a degree based off of the best option for what I had to not continue to extend school. Okay. So I ended That's, up with psychology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Let's take psychology for a minute, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, you could be the person who just, I just study psychology, yeah. right? Yeah. But wouldn't it be like, wouldn't it be even more rich of an experience if you made it your business to not only study it, but to understand how people get hired? right? To understand the business of psychology, mm -hmm. like to understand if there's any potential, like are there, are there racial innuendos that are part of this sort of code, like making it your business to know everything about this so that you kind of know where you fit in. You know what I mean? Like having an aerial view of the entire culture of psychology from hiring to studying it to everything, right? I don't really know psychology, so I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there, but as it relates to basketball, it's like, it's there's so many different elements to it. And it's like the basketball player is like the least relevant part. Like you get all the glory, but in reality, it's like, it's almost like, like a movie, for example. Like when you look at like a movie production, the only thing the viewer thinks about is the actor. That's all we think about. Oh, this person acted in this movie because there's, there's, they're who's on the screen. But there's directors, there's film crews, there's producers, there's writers. Like, it's so many other elements to that that make a movie what it is that are behind the scenes that, you know, we almost get lost in thinking there's not 
other elements to it. And so yeah. I'm encouraging athletes to like, not only make it your business to be good at what you do, but to have like an aerial view of the entire thing. So you can know like where in this equation you fit in and how you can maximize, how you can get the most out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. That, I love how you said that because I feel within our culture, it's really common for people to have this tunnel vision of the career they want to pursue or, you know, like I want to be a doctor or a mechanic or a surgeon, whatever it is. And like you shared, every field still has its world that it sits in and every field is still a business. It still needs money to be run. It still has events that are held. It's still like you're sharing, you know, training is a part of it. Um, seeing the, the differences between how businesses run and how they treat other people within that realm makes a difference. And um, I just think that what you said is really powerful because I don't think a lot of people really realize that. Um, and it's, and even during school, I don't think college prepares you for that in all reality, in my opinion. And then it's not until like, I'm 32 now, like in my thirties, I'm like, oh snap. <laughs> things kind of start falling into place and you start understanding that there is a world a lot larger than, than what we see and realize as far as yes. careers and life. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So then how would you say, what is an example of a transition plan? What, what would that so, look like? Yeah. So <clears throat> I'll, I'll pull from my experience. So, yeah. okay. Prior to like, 21 no i'll say i'll say 19 my freshman year in college prior to my freshman year in college i had no i, had, I didn't even have an inclination of what i do of what i would do outside of basketball right mm -hmm. and i'm thankful for my freshman year because my freshman year i i took a creative writing course i was always good at writing i always liked writing um but i never i never imagined i would like write a book or nothing like that i never thought that but i was i always like took a liking to writing and i was always good at it so my freshman year, I take a creative writing course and um, my professor at the time, um, we called her Professor L. So she was, so, she was just was one of those like passionate teachers. She just loved what mm -hmm. she did. And she noticed I had what she calls some chops and she'd always like encourage me. And she'd be like, you like you remember one day, this is a microaggression, but I know she meant it. She meant it to be, a positive thing, but it was a microaggression that stuck with me. She said, "You really, you're really nothing like the stereotype you hear about other athletes." She, she told me, mm -hmm. and I knew she, I knew what she meant by that. But it stuck with me because I'm like, "Dang!" I'm like, "Well, I did. T okay, I get what she's saying, and I do appreciate that she thinks I am a good writer, right?" But at this, at the same time, it's like, "Dang!" Is this athletic stereotype as is it as deep as, as they say it is? Because as, as a freshman in college, I really didn't know how deep that ran or how how real that stereotype was. So two, I, I pulled two things from that class. One, the way she developed my writing and the way she encouraged me to, to like take writing serious, she really put that battery in my back that like from that, from that course, I knew that someday I would write a book. Like that, the inspiration to write a book came from her, right? Yeah. Or or the or the or the the not the inspiration to write a book, but the confidence that I could write a book came from her. So that's one thing I took away from her. And then I would say it kind of came full circle 
the fact that I'm writing about sort of like this space, because I can really say that both the inspiration and the motivation came from her because that comment she made to me about the athlete thing, it stuck with me like strongly throughout my whole entire life. And it's funny that I'm revisiting it in, in so to speak, now in my book, just kind of talking about how athletes can maximize their college experience. Um, but for me, it came uh, my freshman year in college from that writing class. I knew I wanted to write and I knew I could, if I really put my heart into it, I could write for a living someday. And so I don't know, the fact that I'm sort of like almost done with my first book is, uh, I just think it's a powerful kind of manifestation for sure. That's cool. And I think even what you were sharing with your journey with this teacher, um, I like to remind people a lot that everything we say and everything we do has an enormous impact, whether that's smiling to the person that walks across the room from you or being polite or saying something encouraging. And it's, it's just wild to hear you share that this one moment that you had when you were 19 had an effect in your life later on down the road unexpectedly. Like I'm sure in the moment you weren't like, oh yeah, I'm gonna write a book, you know? I mean, at least I don't think. Yeah. I wasn't, so, you're right. Yeah. And um, and I say that because, you know, I share, uh, I love sharing stories and, and the reason why I love sharing stories is because it's moments like these, the moment that we're having this conversation that we're having that as people are listening, we have no idea what thing you just shared throughout this entire podcast that's going to greatly impact someone's life and that they're going to carry with them moving forward mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um and so to kind of just continue with that what what would you say to those listening to kind of be an inspiration what what ha well rewind what has inspired you we'll start there so <clears throat> my 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 literal journey I've been able to pull inspiration from because, and it, of course it took me, like I graduated in 2011 and I didn't start actually walking in this sort of calling or this sort of purpose until a couple of years ago. So I would say, well, number one, don't, whatever you love or whatever you, you, you think you want to do in life, don't let external forces or social media or whatever influence like the timing of it, like don't think you're gonna get it overnight and don't don't even think that's that's like realistic. It's not like mm -hmm. be patient. Like I always tell my sister this, I have a twin sister, I tell her this all the time. I'm like, I don't want success any sooner than God wants it for me. Like mm -hmm. I'm falling in love with the journey. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not outcome um, crazy. I'm journey crazy. Like I'm loving what I do every day. I'm loving what it's doing for me. And I'm loving the fact that every day I wake up, I, I'm like, my goal is to impact lives, period. Success will come with that. And it'll all manifest the way I want it to at the appointed time. Not my time, not when social media tells me, no, none of that. So I'm working on me. The second thing I'll say to the people listening is that every single one of us has value. Like when I was a kid, people always say like, oh, like you can be anything you wanted to be. And I used to just be like, okay, that just goes through one ear and out the other, right? Yeah. Like there's a little bit of hyperbole to that, but what I will say is every single person has a value that's unique that the world needs. It could be knowledge, it could be inspiration, it could be motivation, it could be something. Every single one of us are called to create, we're called to do, we're called to change, we're called to invent, we're called to do something. 
you have to look internally to figure out what your thing is. Like what you're doing right now, this podcast, the whole entire concept of this podcast, like it's it comes from a genuine space. And I know you're doing it because you literally want to affect lives. That's unique to you. You know, for somebody else, it could be it could be teaching, or it could be training, it could be, it could be teaching financial literacy, whatever that may be. Like the third thing I would say is do not operate on fear, like remove fear. Cause like fear and doubt, like it's the number one thing that will cripple you and, and paralyze your creativity. Like you can't, you cannot, like I would say like get rid of fear. And the only way to get rid of fear is to take action. It's the only remedy to fear. Cause if you, if you sit with your fear and you let it, and you like kind of like let those thoughts just keep cycling, you're going to find yourself not doing anything because mm -hmm. fear will psych you out. We don't, we're not mentally strong enough to have a conversation with fear. The mm -hmm. only thing to remedy fear is to literally take action. Just do it. Whatever that thing is, just literally yeah. do it. Like, and it's not going to be perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? It takes yeah. time. And it's you know, okay. let, you know, things shit. Yeah. But you got to just do it. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would say for sure. I love that. I really do. It's <laughs> It's not very often when I do interviews that I'm like at a loss for words, but I feel, I yeah. genuinely feel like you said it perfectly. Like really, really well said. That was yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, oh, I, so I wanted to ask too, because you were talking about your book that you're writing. And so just to dig a little deeper with that, um, have there ever been times where you were writing your book and you weren't really sure what to write? Or I guess they say like writer's block, but just like maybe not feeling as inspired and kind of like what that yeah. looks like. That's a real, that's a real question. So, all right. First, let me take you to where I, when I decided to write the book and how. Mm -hmm. Let me take it back there and then we'll come forward. So I was in Australia on vacation, just kicking it, right? <laughs> this is crazy. This is, uh, <laughs> this is September. 2019 i'm in australia so i'm in an uber me and my one of my good friends we're in australia hanging out we're in an uber i was in sydney australia i was going up we're going to bondi beach in case you ever heard of that whatever so our uber driver was just asking us questions whatever and it was one of those times where like you didn't really feel like talking to your uber driver like you just wanted to get to the beach like you know yeah, yeah. have casual talk but he just kept he just kept asking me questions i'm like all right whatever this guy really wants to talk like let's just talk whatever Mm -hmm. So he was asking me about the states, how America was and all this stuff. And just yeah. he was just asking me questions about my journey. And he was just like, yeah, like, what do you do? Like, you know, whatever. And I was telling him how I used to play basketball and how I retired a couple of years back. And how I'm like, you know, I'm in the medical industry at that time. And he was like, wow. Like, so how did you like he was like, how did you like how did you basically transition? How did you do that? And like in that moment, I was like, wow, I was like, how did I do that? Like I had never internalized it up until that very conversation. Oh, wow. And so what I, yeah, when I started talking to him about it, he was like, jokingly, he was like, ha ha ha, you should write a book. That's crazy. <laughs> Not lying to you. In that very moment. So, so my yeah. boy and the Uber driver, they're laughing because it was like, it was a joke. Yeah. And I'm not laughing. I'm like, I should write a book just like that. And I got home two weeks later and I, I just literally started writing. But here's the funny part. And this is like, I feel strongly about walking in your purpose because of what happened to me. Like, I kid you not, the idea to write the book and like 
when I started writing the book, it was a point where like I was having dreams at least two, three days a week. I was having dreams. And in my dreams, I would literally like, I, it was like God was telling me what to write. I'm not lying to you. It was, it was like the most like surreal experience. And I'd wake up. So the first couple of times that happened, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be like three in the morning. It'd be late. And I'd, I'd wake up like, what the fuck? Like, whatever. I'm like, all right, go back to sleep. And the next morning, I forget what I dreamed about. And I'd be so mad. I'm like, dang, like, I feel like I, I feel like I knew what I was going to write last night. And then when I woke up this morning, I forgot. Yeah. So then I was like, well, the third time that happened, I'm like, okay, I need to start writing this down. Like, when I wake up in the middle of the dream, I need to start noting this. Because I always forget if I don't. So then it happened again. And, like, I'll, I'll have this, like, crazy revelation of, like, about what I wanted to write about. Mm-hmm. So I'll wake up, like, 3 in the morning. And then I'll, like pull out my phone and I'll just put the notes in my phone real quick. So the next morning when I woke up again, I would be like, okay, write about this today. This would happen to me like twice a week, like yeah. sometimes three days a week. It was happening. I kid you not. Everything in my book, I would say like 85% of it was like, and I got it from my, it's like, I would say like my dreams is revealing it to me. hundred percent. And I started like looking, there's like actual scientific like information about this. I forget what it's called. But like when you're really like doing something that you feel like you're called to do, I sincerely believe you're going to be led. Like if you're into God, like yeah. it's God. If you're into the universe, that's cool, too. But like when you're when you're doing what you authentically know you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I think it, I feel like it's going to be effortless. Like you'll it'll feel right. You know, like yeah. you may not get the results or the money or the success immediately. Yeah. But your 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 journey or your like effort to walk in your purpose and to like do the work, it'll be effortless. And I kid you not, I'm like, you know, I'm like 70 pages in now. And most of it has come either directly from a dream or an, or some idea came to me in a dream. And like I do research on it and then I would like go. You know what I mean? So I can honestly tell you it's it's all God inspired. All of it. <laughs> it's crazy. I love it. Yeah. It's- <laughs> You know what I mean? So yeah, I I I believe in God, right? That's the yeah. center of everything that I do. So I completely understand where you're coming from when mm-hmm. you share that. And yeah. it's it's wild to think, like you share, like once once you're in the realm of doing what you're called to do, like you shared, whether you believe in God or the universe or whatever your beliefs may be, there there's a way that it just kind of clicks into place and things just kind of flow um, naturally, even if it's hard um it just kind of fits mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. um 100%, that's crazy 100%. that's so crazy i love it and let me <laughs> let me say this other point too because mm-hmm. this is this was like double confirmation for me so yeah i had this i was just flowing like my book was just like i literally was i was writing every single day like it was just flowing so naturally but then i had a point excuse me i had a point where I stopped having dreams, right? I was like, damn, like, damn, why am I not having dreams? Like, this is weird. Like, I don't know what to write about, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, You're like, and, uh... yeah, I'm like, uh, okay, I'll just, I just won't write. So there was like two months I didn't write. And I was like, one day I was just like, dude, everything you've written so far, none of it was really like you. Yeah. So I was like, now that you have writer's block, you think it's you going to get, that's going to get you out of it. And it, it just dawned on me. I was like, dude, go, go pray about inspiration. Go pray yeah. about what to write about. No lie. And then I did that. And just something dawned on me. I was like, I was like, God, like everything in my book so far, you've given me in a dream. So I was like, I need some more dreams. I need something. Like, <laughs> what to write about? 
And literally, like the next day, I started dreaming again. And I felt like it was just confirmation for me. It was like, it was like God almost telling me, like, listen, this is this is not you. Like, like if you need, like, tap in with the source. Like if you need inspiration, yes. if you need strength, right? If you need fuel for your journey, go to the source because you know, we think it's us, but really God's using us, you know, like so just allow yourself to be used and don't make it about you, you know, like yeah. it's not about you. Like it really is about who you're going to be helping and who you're going to be impacting. And I think the more you just take you out of it, like you'll just, it'll just flow. It'll just flow. Yeah. And I love how you said that because I think too, with what you had shared earlier, that's why it's so so important to enjoy the journey, right? And to not be so focused on the end game, because I think a lot of times people put their eyes and set their eyes on one thing, a career they want to pursue. Let's say they want to be a professional basketball player and they lose sight that in my opinion, first, there's more, so much more to life than just being a basketball player. Even if you are in the NBA, you are more than just that, you know, you are a friend, you are a parent, you are, you know, any other role, you're, you're an inspiration. And, and even for those who don't end up pursuing um, NBA or don't end up pursuing basketball in a professional level, there's still so much more to us, um, and, and the people we come across and the impact we can make, but uh-huh. it's, it's so embedded in our culture to just see the end and this is what yeah. I want to do. And you forget the day to day, like, especially I would say with COVID, mm. I think that that has been a big thing um, on, on our, on, on changing our perspectives and our lenses on really appreciating these moments, these conversations, the, yeah just getting up in the morning to do little tasks. And yeah. um, so how has that affected you with your journey in writing? And- <clears throat> yeah, um, COVID has, I was almost already living sort of a COVID type of life because I just been so mm-hmm. focused, but yeah. it's, you made a point, like it's, it's made me appreciate the little things like so much, like, and it just has, it's just, it's just centered my life like so greatly, like my days are the same and I love it. Like I wake up at 5.30, I work out from six to seven. I I come home, I still have a day job. I do my day job from home. Right after I clock out of work, I'm either writing or, you know, working on my business, my website, something to do with like what I'm, you know, transition game or transition G. So, and like, that's what I do every single day. So it's just, it's just made me like, I'm not, there's nothing to be distracted by. Like there's nowhere to go. Yeah. There's no, there's no partying, you know, it's, it's nothing to do. So I'm just, I'm placing that energy fully into what I'm doing. And um, it's just, it's just, it's just made me like so focused. So COVID has been, um, don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of um, negativity and, and of course yeah. uh, bad things happening. We would definitely want to be you know, respectful and, and sensitive to that for sure. Um, I just lost an uncle like a few weeks ago. Like it's, it's, it's definitely real. You know what I mean? For sure. But but the silver lining, which we have to take silver linings from all of our experiences. Like that's just the only way to stay positive, right? The silver lining is it's recentered my focus. And a lot of people I know their focus as well. Like I know people who lost jobs and like they went in, that was their opportunity to go get a real estate license. I know somebody who's like he lost his job in July and he went and got his real estate license and he's closed six deals since since losing his job and he always wanted to pursue he always wanted to pursue real estate but he never could because he was just 
working his job every day. Yeah. So like, if you're using this time wisely, it really may be a transformational year for you or two years, depending on how this year goes. So I would just, you know, for me, it's been great. Like I've been writing more. I've been, I've been, you know, so focused on like just carving out my company and my business and everything. So it's been great. It's been great from that perspective. Yeah. So. And um, I wanted to ask too, as you continue to pursue everything you're pursuing, right? Running your website, your business, writing your book, managing COVID. Um, what are things that you do to help you stay sane and, and just enjoying the everyday outside of those activities yeah. that you shared? And I know you said working yeah. out, so I imagine that's a part of it too. 100%. Like I, man, this is this is such a great question because when, when, and I don't know how it was in San Diego, but there was like a specific like week or month or whatever where like uh -huh. the shutdown happened, right? Uh, this might've been like April-ish, something like that. So the first two weeks of the lockdown and like the gyms were closed too, right? So mm -hmm. I wasn't able to work out and I was working from home and I was just stuck in the house for like two weeks straight. Yeah. I literally felt like I was losing my mind. Like it was legit. I felt like I'm going crazy. Like, yeah. I don't know how depression feels, but I felt like I was like creeping into that territory. Mm -hmm. I felt so weird. I felt inadequate. I just felt like I was just useless, you know, for yeah. two weeks. And then like the third week, I was like, all right, dude, like there's no way you can live like this. Like you're not going to like this is not possible. So I was like, all right, let me just figure something out. And then like I actually ended up getting into CrossFit because I used to just go to like L.A. Fitness and just lift weights, whatever, which was yeah. cool. But I ended up finding a CrossFit gym near my house that was open because they were like they're outdoors. Right. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have to close. So I started, I tried CrossFit for my first time during, during the pandemic. And like, it just, it changed my life. Like, like it just literally for me, fitness is like my little mental thing, you know, okay, yeah. for some people it's meditation for others. It's, you know, other things for me, it's working out. So I just started, I changed my whole routine. Like I started doing CrossFit in the morning. So I used to wake up at like seven o'clock. Now I wake up at five 30 and so I missed that extra hour of sleep, but like what I get in return, that six to seven, that, that hour workout is just changed my entire life. Like I'll never not work out in the mornings now. And I think, the, I think the pandemic for that too, because it's like, I wouldn't have changed my routine if it wasn't for that. So yeah, mentally for me, it's working out and starting my days with a workout. And I usually have great days when I do that. So. And how are you able to change your routine? Like it's because it sounds like and I love it. I used to wake up early in the morning. Now I have a really hard time. <laughs> but you share, you know, a way to overcome fears just to do it. Right. And, yeah. and changing your routine and waking up early to make the time and space for that. And so how do you how do you do that? Yeah. I know it's like a hard I don't know if that's a hard question, but how, yeah. like, how did you get yourself to go from being comfortable and I, I imagine waking up at seven to getting yeah. yourself to get up at 5.30? Like, was it yeah. kind of like easier for you or? Well, it was definitely hard because I I value my sleep. Like I, I like I value my sleep, you know what I mean? It's like, it was like, <laughs> I used to think waking up at 5.30, like I used to think anybody who woke up like before 6.30, like you just were nuts. I didn't even, I couldn't even <laughs> comprehend it, right? So I'm like, this CrossFit gym, they have a 6 a.m. class. And I'm like, 
I just can't see myself waking up to mm-hmm. like, who, like, how could I possibly do that, right? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, it's not gonna work out. But I was like, let me just give it a try. I just, again, as I said earlier, like the only remedy to fear or doubt is just action. You have to just do it and just see, right? Like the thing about humans is like, of course we're creatures of habit, but we also have this incredible ability to adjust to things. Mm -hmm. Like if you can push through the initial, like, you know, resistance, I'll say, Mm -hmm. you'll, the other, on the other side of that is probably a new lifestyle or probably a new, a new routine that you love to do, but you have, you won't know until you get to the other side, you may find that you don't like it. Right. And that's fine too. But if you don't take action, you'll never know. So I say all that to say, I just tried it one day and um, I I just felt, I felt so, I just felt incredible. Like I just, cause you know, when you, when you work out, there are like scientific where they say like endorphins are released and all that stuff where yeah. it just makes you feel that's a real thing. And like, when you start your day like that, for me, at least that the extra hour of sleep I lost, but what I gained was like, just feeling so incredible and empowered. Yeah. And I had this like, it's just an energy about it where like, you just have a great day. Like you just, you just do <laughs> for me. So <laughs> I lost the hour of sleep, but I felt so great throughout my day. I'm like, let me try this again Tuesday. So I went mm-hmm. Tuesday, same thing. Let me try it again Wednesday. And by the time you know it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm hooked. Like I'm doing it. It's yeah. been what, four months now, five months now. Yeah. So, but I had to just take action, you know? So I would say that. Yeah. I like that. You're all like skipping yeah. and giddy and <laughs> all hype. Dude, I'm, just, I'm just happy. I'm just I'm just so happy every day now. So I was like, That's all right, so I'll just keep it going. Yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah. And um and so since we're coming towards the end, when do you plan on releasing your book? How far? I mean, is there not, you know, because I know sometimes yeah. you kind of just go. Is there anything that you have yeah. in mind or yeah, I definitely feel like uh, I'm I'm in the concluding stages of my book. So it's, it's coming out 2021. Um, definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, the website's being carved out now. I'll probably be released, like kind of introducing it to the world very soon. It's transition-g.com. So all the updates and everything will be on there. And of course, on my social media stuff. So the book's coming out 2021, for sure, by God's grace, for sure. And where can they find you too on social media? My social media on um, Instagram is transition G. So the word transition and the letter G. Um, my Twitter is transition underscore G. And Facebook is also transition G as well. Um, and of course, the website is trans- transition G.com. You can find me there. I love it. I love it. Um, thank you, seriously, from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to sit here and talk with me. And it's, I'm, I'm always blown away with the people that I've met in life and have been friends with yeah. in the past who yeah. I've had the honor of sitting. If, if we were in person, you'd be sitting across from me, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, to just have a conversation and, and to talk more about your journey. And, yeah. and um, any last words, anything else you want to share for anyone? Nah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank I didn't know what yeah. to expect, but this conversation yeah. was like super powerful. Like, I don't know. Maybe when the book's coming out or something like that, I could come back. We could have like a little yes. follow-up thing. Maybe I would love that. So, that'd be great. But thank that. you so much for having me. Seriously. Yeah. Thank you. This is a freestyle. I was like, all right, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> hey, let's just take action. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you again. And yeah, thank stay you. tuned everyone listening. Um, 
I will update everything, all the information I have in the details to this podcast episode. So you'll have all of this information there. And it's such an honor. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you.